Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our latest episode with Jeff Ogilvie. Before we get into a number of topics with Jeff, which include Riviera and the slow play on Sunday, let's first talk about an exciting new uh, announcement for the Fried Egg. We have partnered up with Summit Golf Brands, who make B-Dratty, Fairway and Green, and Zero Restriction apparel products. Uh, We're really excited to partner with these guys. We share a lot of the same brand ideals. Uh, I've been buddies with some of them for a number of years, and it just was a really good natural fit. We'll have all Summit apparel in the pro shop. We actually have a bunch of new items in there right now. Uh, Some B-Dratty polos, a Fairway and Green pullover and uh, some B-Dratty t-shirts. So we'll get more stuff in there, but uh, let us know what you like and really excited about this partnership. They uh, are awesome people and they share a lot of the same ideals as we do about golf and and kind of the future of the game. So excited to partner up with uh, Summit and hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Jeff Ogilvie podcast. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. New wedges everywhere. That's crazy. VJ used to do that. Remember VJ got to number one in the world. He changed his wedges every single week, brand new wedges every Monday. And if he got a flyer with his irons, that whole set went in the bag that day and he got a brand new set of irons. Every flyer. <laughs> so some guys get like that. Was there a big difference when they switched the grooves at the wedges? Was that hard? Initially, initially it was really weird. That first sort of six months, because the, they were crazy crazy sharp and amazing grooves i actually hated them right at the end like the super spin milled groove things just before they got banned or not or they got adjusted i should say i had to get in a bunker for 200 shots or something with both of them the 56 and the 60 to wear them out a little bit they were too sharp um they were amazing and then when they changed we lost a lot of spin and the ball was rolling up the face and I went from 60 to 58 because less spin, I think. Less loft sometimes helps you spin it. And then gradually they worked it out. They worked out the milling on the face. They worked out how to make the new grooves inside the new rules be similar and they got back to pretty similar pretty quick within the year, I would think. And now they, they, they've – it's actually been a good thing for wedge design because it's, it's put – they've worked out to put the center of gravity higher. I don't know if you're the Vokies now that you have quite a lot of weight up the top, the top edge, and that's changed the flight. That was that was to get all the the spin back. So it's most of the way back, but at first it was a pretty big adjustment. What what was it like when you went from uh, wound to solid core? Wow, I mean that was a game changer. I uh, I turned pro in nineteen ninety eight using turboladders. I used a tour ballader at my European tour school, which was Q school, which was 1998, and used ballader the whole first kind of year or so. And it was at the end of 
It was 2000 the Pro V came out, right? I think it was the, the end of 99. Nine, yeah, 99 no, it was the Vegas. End of 2000. Was it 99 Vegas or 2000 Vegas? One of the two. I think it was, it was 2000 Vegas because 2001 was that year that the USA Today article and stuff was out. So I want to say that was the change. And from Bellata, because I didn't use professional, uh, like those kind of half, those wound hard ones, you know, the professional mm-hmm. and Maxwell had the revolution. And the really only solid ball when I turned pro that guys were using was the Bridgestone that Price used to use, like the Precept DV and stuff like that. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. Precept. Uh, the Japanese, they were way in front of the curve. They had hard balls, like solid balls, not wound balls, I should say, well before us. 2000, as soon as I, it was 30 yards. That was the only time in my life that I actually, when I said, there's 30 yards in this ball or 20. It was true. Like it was just crazy the first time I used a Pro-V. Like it was amazing. I remember the seam. Remember you teed up on the seam <laughs> and it would go further. And then if I would tee up, I was in high school. I'd tee it up with the Titleist facing the club on par threes and you get more spin. Is what I that remember. was the theory, right? We, uh, yeah, you'd hit the brand name. You'd hit Titleist crossway so you'd have the seam kind of across the shot mm-hmm. the par three for irons and then the tee shot i would have the seam vertically down the direction i wanted to hit it yeah, yeah. and it would it, i don't know if it did but we were all convinced that it sounded different when you hit it off the seam and it went further and uh, i don't know if it did or not but we we're all convinced it did <laughs> it's fun that's that I, fun. I feel like the do, do you think that solid core ball changed the swing fundamentals a little bit um, partly, I think, I think the whole, the, we've gone from say golf equipment just evolved at a, at a normal pace, right. Until that moment, I guess, because that was kind of the time when titanium just showed up and it was coming into its own and the big headed drivers, big headed drivers and solid core ball all at the same time. That was the big jump, but we've gone from good players always had to try to keep spin off the old stuff like it was everything spun a lot because the ball spun a lot um so it was a hitting you hit down on it a lot and the modern equipment especially with the way the track man and a low spin and we're all trying to hit low spin everyone's trying to hit up on their driver a little bit and that's certainly adjusted techniques um change them i mean it's i guess you just got to the, the right swing the right way to use the body is still the right way to use the body but i think there's you, people find it a different way now because the balls do something completely different you've got to hit them really hard to get them in the air now you know modern stuff yeah like a tour player's driver just doesn't work unless it's swinging at 120 you know it just just falls out of the sky because it's geared to be hit hard do you think there's a so i think like that low spin knowing that everybody's trying to take spin off and there's like that McDonald quote when he's talking about the Haskell ball, right? Where certain Mm -hmm. holes got certain great holes became irrelevant because of the Haskell ball. And then indefinite holes became great holes, right? Yeah. Think thinking about how players can't spin the ball like they used to. Is there a way you could design a, course thinking about that where you're using their lack of spin against them well perhaps uh yeah this week say um at riv the 10th has clearly changed for a for a bunch of reasons 
but lack of spin and kind of control, I would say, on those sort of shots or less of, which I don't necessarily think there is. I just think it's an adjustment of way you do it. But certainly the old bladder balls in the 80s were fun and really set up to hit pitch shots like you would be hitting in a tenant rib. And now it's it's that shot's completely irrelevant at rib now, isn't it? But if you played 10, if that was the only hole you played, for 72 times in a row, and that was the only thing golf was played on, we would all end up with a ball that spun more. I think the course evolves the equipment rather than the equipment evolving the course. I think, you know what I'm saying? I think the course, yeah. we could, you could create a situation to get more spin on a ball if you just made a course that you needed more spin to play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I was, I was starting to think is like 300, and f- so Riv is like 313. Is, is 350 the new 313? We've talked about this a bit. I think it's a better hole now. At least the distance is better that everybody can get there. And it's better that not only can everyone get there, is the driver is actually too much for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone's driver just ended up right there at the front edge and it couldn't really go in a bad spot if it didn't go to the right, it, it would be not as interesting as the fact But most guys can hit driver actually way past the green um, if they really catch one. And that's really terrible if you get past the green in, a, in, in the wrong spot. So it's kind of more interesting. It would be less interesting if everybody just hit it 10 yards short, I think, because that's actually the easiest place to play from. Um, and and what you were saying, the, the modern driver, if you don't swing it really hard, it falls out of the air. So it's actually a really hard shot to hit. It is, and it, it kind of, you like draw a three-wood, like kind of down the front left of the green, or do you try to cut your driver or... Um, it's, I think it's getting more, I think the, the 10th at Riv has a few issues with the, the green. I think it's too pitched now. I think the bunker has built up the right hand side of it so much that it's too steep a little bit. You've they've lost a few pins, but outside of that, it's become a better hole because it's even more of an in-between par hole now. And they're always the fun ones, right? The 13th, the masters, you know, like the, the half par holes. What do you, what did you think about the fifth at Trinity? compared to 10th at Riv. Fifth at Trinity was great. The little one with the no bunkers around the green. Yeah. Um, that and was that, a great hole. And it played great that week too. And again, because we all hit it over the grid, driver was too much. So it's not, it wasn't just, not just a matter of hitting on the right line. It's the right line and the right distance. And when it was firm like it was, the right line and the right distance it was is quite difficult, especially with a bit of wind. Yeah. I think... Uh, Firmer golf courses would certainly encourage players to, to to have a bit more control and maybe spin the ball a little bit more. I mean, because when the ball just hits and stops on the fairway and hits and stops around the greens, there's less – it doesn't matter as much how it got there, you know, whether it was high and spinning or low and not spinning. It, it, it hits and stops. It, the flight is less relevant. But as soon as it gets firm, you'd see a variety of balls, I think. Some guys would take the risk and just prepare to hit as far as they want, even if it was going to bounce a bit more into the trees and not be able to shape it. And other guys would choose a ball that shaped. I back in the when I first started Duval, David used to talk about he knew it went further when he hit it with less spin, but he preferred a driver that spun the ball quite a lot because he knew where it was going and it was a lot safer way to hit it. So he actually sacrificed distance to hit it straighter, Duval, at least in that period when he was playing great. 
which I found interesting because you don't hear anybody say that now. Come out and say, oh, you know what? I've just set my driver up to go not quite as far because <laughs> it's easier to hit straight. I mean, when was the last time you had someone say that? Yeah, nobody. It's, it's, that's, it, it, the drivers, if you hit it far, I think what, eight of the top 10 in the strokes gained last year off the tee made it to the FedEx Cup. So if you yeah, hit it far crazy. and straight, like there's no way. I mean, I think about this all the time. It's like for Cameron Champ, for example, unbelievable driver of the golf ball. It's it's so hard to shoot a bad score when you have wedge in your hand 14 times, right? And what we're kind of noticing, I think, is these guys who are hitting it far are actually the ones who have the best golf swing because we're getting to that point where everything's maxed out. And so really the only way you can stand out distance-wise is to swing it really, really well, to swing it that fast. And when you swing it really, really well, you hit it straighter. So we're actually, it's changing the traditional logic used to be long hitters sprayed it, right? Not true anymore. Cameron Champ's one of the straightest hitters in golf. So is Dustin. I mean, I've never seen anybody drive it like Dustin can. McElroy, really Rory, straight with a drive. Yeah. You know, incredible. Like these guys have the best swings. So they're long and they're straight. It's fun. I mean, they're really fun to watch. It's it's incredible. But you feel bad for that guy who can't create, who's got maybe a little bit of a dodgy swing, but maybe a real crafty around the greens. It's getting harder and harder for that guy to. And look, that's the majority of the tour used to be slightly dodgy swings and real crafty. You know what I mean? It's it's harder to stand out for the the crafty guys. I mean, Cooch has had a good run, so he's still doing it. And Zach Johnson and Steve Stricker and, you know, the, the guys I mean, just the pretty Bad, much most guys know, except those big kids. Badly is, has had unbelievable longevity. Badly, he has, because yeah. he's a great putter. I mean, I, I can't believe it. he's like been on tour forever. I remember watching him. I thought he was going to be the next major. I watched him at the 1997 U.S. Junior because it was at Conway Farms. I mean, I was a little mm-hmm. kid watching, and he was unbelievable. I mean, he was a, he was a superstar at 17. He was as polished at that age as anybody I ever saw. He, he, he won the Australian Open as an amateur against all of us. Uh, beat Norman and Montgomery down the stretch. So that was legit. As an amateur, the next year, he turns pro the week before the Australian Open and wins it again. <laughs> I mean, who does that? First week they turn pro, defends their National Open. I mean, outrageous. And then just he, just, he lost his golf swing a little bit and maybe chased it a bit hard, but he was always an unbelievable putter. His ball striking has come and gone, I should say. Mm-hmm. He's had great periods and poor periods, but his short game has always been outrageous. Really good. Did really you, good. Do you ever chase anything? Me? With like your swing? Do you try and try and like you know, you hear about Keimer with the with the draw at for Augusta all the time. You know, Luke Donald's trying to get more yards and then loss. Like, did you ever try and just like overhaul something? It was, I mean, it's always been a work in progress. Like, I think I had this great patch when I was really young that felt so good and golf felt so easy. And it was, obviously, I was technically swinging it really sound or I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know how I was doing it. I was just swinging it and feeling good. And it, I just, the ball went where I wanted it to. And I never really got that back. I mean, that's probably the same for everyone who plays golf when they're a kid. Golf is easy when you're a kid, right? Yeah. Because you don't think about it. And I was, if I was doing anything, I was always trying to make it feel like that again. <laughs> and I never quite worked it out. Like, 
or not yet at least. But that, I, I never really decided because I could always kind of draw it if I wanted to, fade it if I wanted to. I, I had trouble with the draw and the driver later on. Um, and I'd look lovingly at Rory's ball flight and go, how do you hit a draw like that with a driver? You know, But that was more of a wishful grass is greener on the other side rather than a chase, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that, I think that's the right way to do it because everybody's always envious of somebody else, what they have. Like you always watch somebody and you're like, Oh God, if I could only putt like him, that's what I always say to myself. (laughs) Um, Hey, so Riv last week, JB Holmes wins, but I'm, we could talk about the slow play thing, but I'm curious. What's your take? So I found, I, I've been keeping this stat for like the last three years running now. So youngest winner at Riviera since Adam Scott. Adam Scott was the last guy younger than 29 to win at Riv. And only two guys that are 29, Bill Haas and Charles Howell, won in their 20s at Riv in the last 14 years. Why? Wow. Well, you've picking out some good names here too. Uh, I mean, Bill Haas and Charles Howell have been pretty uh, – have proven themselves over a long period of time to have been some of the best players on tour, right? So is Adam Scott. So it's obviously a course that suits a great player. And maybe there's a certain aspect of the course that you have to have played a lot of golf to, to do well around. It is quite a local knowledge course, Riv. It seems really weird at first. Tricky, tricky at first, I should say. It seems simple on the surface. And you find yourself missing greens in the wrong spot and three-putting a lot and the greens are really tricky on the weekend because they they push that power a little bit and it gets a little bit bumpy and fast and bumpy uh, is really kind of scary for us. I mean, fast and smooth, Augusta, is not so scary, but fast and bumpy is really scary. And I think great putters and experience doesn't get freaked out by that. But when you're young, you do a little bit. Um, you need a complete game to win there. You just... You need to move it both ways. You need to have a real understanding of strategy and layup. There's a lot of tees you got to lay up smartly. A lot of places you can't miss at Riviera and do any good. Uh, it's just an experience course, I guess. That's an interesting stat, though, because there's some pretty impressive players in the 20s in the world, isn't there? That's I, I keep I was when I thought I thought it was going to end because I thought Thomas was going to win, but you know Thomas winning is I mean he's about as good as it gets. I mean he's got everything, but then Holmes wins and extends it another year. I'm like, unbelievable. It's interesting. They're all becoming very long hitters at Rift too, right? Bubba, I mean, Bubba does well there. JB, Thomas was up there. Um, Freddie always used to be up there. It's, it's become a bit of a bomber's paradise, and it's not uh, thought of like that. Mm-hmm. But it's long hitters who do well there now. Yeah. Phil usually posts up there pretty well. The thing, though, now – the tour is predominantly long hitters now. You have to keep that in mind. But like the thing I try and look at is like, is there variety on the leaderboard? Right. You know, and mm-hmm. and when it, it was wet this year, so I think everybody was a long hitter this year, but you know, last year you had Kevin Na finished runner up with Tony Finau. The year before you had Scott Brown was a runner up. Um, yeah. And they're not, they're not what you would consider long hitters. Are they? No, that's, I mean, but at the same time, the long hitters seem to be winning. I mean, John Merrick, that he's not long. He won. But at the same time, that's there. how many more long hitters? I mean, what's the better question really is what's long now? Obviously, like Bubba, JB, and Dustin are really long. 
but 300 is not really long. No, long is the guy. Um, it's the carry distance. That's what I feel like. There's quite a few guys who max out their driver and get a good ball flight and swing it at 116 and hit at 315 or whatever because they just max out everything, right? But then there's that guy like Dustin or Finau or Rory who can fly at 320 if they need to, like just all in the air, just whoosh. What do you, JB can do the same thing. Speaking of, what what do you think about that change to that proposed change to the fifth at Augusta, or that they did? They moved the tee back forty the, yards. The back onto Bergman's road. Um, and then they move, but they moved the bunkers back. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I've never been big on any of their changes because I just think can't you just leave well enough alone? It's such a great place anyway. But they do it so seamlessly. I'll have to wait. Yeah. to see what it looks like because they do it so well when they do it. It's quite a big tee shot anyway. Like it always blew me away that the last couple of years there was a couple of kids who could actually hit it over those bunkers because it was I could hardly even get it to the bunkers. Like it's quite a big hit up five. It plays it plays longer than it measures because it's uphill. Um, the ball doesn't roll because of the way you hit it. So it's going to be a beast. It could turn into the hardest hole in the course. And by the way, that's the hardest green in the world to hit is seven on into so i don't know what it's gonna be like if guys hit three irons into it i appreciate that they are gonna have to hit like a mid mid iron in now because oh yeah I, the bunkers have to be relevant right they have to matter for yeah sure. because you didn't even have to hit you didn't even have to challenge the bunkers and you have a short iron in right mid iron <laughs> short iron now if you challenge them you've got a mid iron in. if you if you don't you're gonna have like a four iron in i mean i've always had like a mid iron into there really i mean i think the shortest i would get is like an eight iron for me because mm-hmm. as i said the way they cut the fairways and stuff it's really you've really got to smash it up there to get much less than 160 so i'd be disappointed if it plays too long we'll see back to uh back to jb and it, it you're not on twitter the world went went was outraged by the slow play at Riv. I think it was like the first moment. It, it, it was coming off of the Kucher thing. It was like the new Kucher thing was slow play. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think about how long it takes, around, it takes to get around in professional golf? I think it's a complete joke how long it takes to play around in professional golf, especially the three balls, uh, which is every Thursday, Friday, and usually on the West Coast because of the daylight. Um, it's brutal. But, I mean, it's been brutal forever, and it things naturally go their way, and it's obviously slowed down because of the length of the course, um, the length of the walk. I mean, all that you can – you can I can build in from the whatever it was, three, three hours to play in 1920 and four hours to play in 1920. 80 or whatever it was at five and a half now or something i can get that it slows down gradually because everything's bigger and longer and maybe there's more players in the field i don't know but uh the lack of no i don't it's such a, a there's so many different reasons people are slow from taking too long to prepare for their shot taking too long standing over the ball going to the bathroom at the wrong time, not paying attention, not hitting when they're ready, not getting their numbers until it's their turn. I mean, there's there's an infinite number of reasons why it's slow. So that's why it's very difficult, I think, 
come up with a policy that's actually going to work. I, I, the, only, the only place in the world that professional golf has played at a sensible pace is Japan. And it's incredible. Like, if, if the official comes up and says, hey, guys, you're two minutes over your time, um, speed up, they run. They literally run up the fairway because they're so ashamed of being the one who's holding up the field in that, that really great Japanese thing that they have, that feeling that they have. They, they run and you play in four hours. Um, so, yeah, in other words, the players have to decide to get faster. Everyone has to sit around and not accept the way JB was. Like, I didn't, I didn't watch on Sunday particularly, so I didn't see how slow it was, but I, I know how it gets. And he does get quite deliberate, <laughs> especially when he's in contention. Um, he's quite good on Thursdays and Fridays. He does slow down the bigger the moment, which is quite common. Um, but he plays well that way, so he's going to keep doing it until everybody just decides to not let him do that. It's not him, it's everybody. We just need to not accept if the players decided to play faster, they would just play faster, is what I'm saying. I think that's the only way. Everyone just has to decide, you know what? This is a joke. We're not playing in five and a half anymore. Let's just play faster. And if the slow players out here don't speed up, we'll just peer pressure them into it. That's the, I think that's the thing that's going to work. What? It's unbelievable to me that... So I think that picking your yardage seeing the lie, judging the wind all quickly, like being able to synthesize all that information quickly and make a decision is a real skill. And in the current setup, that player is actually being hindered. Like a slow, a fast player has to adapt to the slow player. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. I've always found it difficult to play with, say, the really, really slow players. We don't have to mention them, but we know who they are. The really, the really, the traditionally everybody knows they're really slow, because it kind of makes me a bit frantic, because I feel like I have to go a little bit faster to make up the difference. Um, because the unfair thing on tour, and that this is what creates the animosity between the players and stuff, is that you, play, if two fast players are playing with one slow player, you end up on the clock. Because you can't make up the difference for a slow player. A slow player just plays as slow as he wants, usually. And then you get on the clock, and it's very difficult to play golf on the clock. Nobody likes playing on the clock because you want, even though most guys don't back off shots, it's still nice to know that you can. But when you're on the clock, you can't. So you're over the ball thinking, this better be right, this better be right, I can't back off, this better be right. And that's not the right thing to be thinking when you're playing. Uh, what about the, what, what about lining <laughs> up the ball? How much of an impact was that? Like, I don't think that was really a big thing back in the, like, you know, the, say, 90s. And now everybody lines up that ball on the greens. I think about it. I used to line it up. And then I went away from it because I could never trust the line. And now I do nothing. But I I'm, I think I got, I think that for a period I was really slow on the greens when I was lining up the ball. There are certainly people who do that quite fast. Um, Tiger's always done it. Brad Faxon always did it, and they putted at a reasonable pace. I mean, Tiger's always played at a good pace. Tiger slows down uh, on a really difficult putt or chip or something, like he takes it in an order of amount of time, but he always hits a pretty good one and gets it up and down, so it, the net result is good. But general play, he was fast and putting, and he lined it up, and he didn't get too anal about it. He just put it down and putt. But some guys especially with the, the way the green, books, the green books were getting, 
take a really long time to get that line right. Yeah. And that, yeah. That, again, there's an infant, there's a lot of different reasons why it's slow. Mostly it's no, atten- no, no attention and no, I was always brought up and thought that if you just keep up with the group in front, that's the way you play golf. So you constantly just play and try to just keep that, keep up with the group in front. That's really, that's really the only thing you need to do to pay attention to your pace of play, don't you think? Is keep up with the group in front. And if everybody does that and you get their first group playing at a sensible speed, then it's fine. Um, some guys don't have that radar. Some guys just don't, they don't notice where they are relative to the field and they can fall two holes behind just because they get in their own head about their analyzing or whatever they're doing. And they just don't have that, let's say care factor. They just don't, some people just don't have that internal clock and don't feel impatient or weird about it. I, I do. Some people don't. It's just one of those things, I think. I think that's understandable. Like I always think when I, finish around a tournament round I'll drive home and I won't remember any second of the drive home because I'll be just replaying that and you're in your whole like you're in a, a tournament golf you're in a completely different world you know your head is completely yeah completely. so I can understand where somebody would get out of that I, I think about it it's like the shot clock in the NBA the game clock in the NFL I've said this couple times but like Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback ever because of the game clock if there was no game clock like the play clock I don't think Mm -hmm. he would I don't think he would be great because his skill is he gets to the line he sees what the defense is in and he audibles quicker than anybody else can so yeah he does just quick doesn't he so he adjusts quick he sees where the safety is he knows exactly what they're in and he makes he changes the play and and he kills the defense, just picks them apart. And it's like the same thing goes for golf is if there's a shot clock, the more talented golfer would have an advantage because anybody. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Cause if you, if you have all the time in the world, you're going to figure it out. Like there's a reason tests in school are timed. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But do we need – can't we just have it making a gentleman's agreement to decide to just play faster? Like, you could. The thing I don't like about the shot clock is if it became universal and you're standing on 12 at Augusta, this is my example for why I don't like this, or 15 at Augusta, and you're standing on 12 and you've got 30 seconds to hit it, but it's one of those weird windy days when it's downwind, into the wind, downwind, into the wind, downwind, into the wind, and one guy gets it like in a nice spot, and then you've got 30 seconds to hit, and you hit it, and you hit it up in the trees or in the water because you weren't allowed to like back off and wait for the right wind. Like that, it's too big a tournament to be put in. That's not fair. Tom Brady's playing indoors mostly. It's different. Like it's a different scenario. Everyone there is playing at the same time Tom is. You know what I mean? But the guy on 12, he's hitting a shot at a different time than everyone else in the field. So it's 30 seconds for one guy in the first group is maybe completely different from 30 seconds for a guy two hours later on the same hole. So that's the reason I don't like it, and I hope we don't get there. But you are right in that the great, the really, really great players, when you play those old experience, like great players, you know, I don't know who, the David Toms or the Jay Haas, you know, the guys who played golf, professional golf forever. They 
they walk up to their ball and they know it's a six iron before they're 10 yards from their ball. Like they, they already know the shot they're getting because they're assessing it on the way up and they're doing it. And, they, and the caddy is really just filling in the, the distance gap, but they kind of knew that they were going to hit a six. They know that short left of this hole is better. They know the wind's a little bit out of the right because they've been looking at it all day. They know the six iron's not kind of, it's, it's only going 175 this week because it's a little bit cooler. I mean, they've got all of that under control. They walk up, grab the club and hit it. I think the the, the the age group that's on tour nowadays have learnt golf on the range, not on the course, or more so at least, more of a technical, like, sports psychology, like, range kind of development rather than out the back of the Caddyshack just playing 36 holes a day. There's a different – and you end up a different style of golfer. When you play holes all, and all you do, you get very efficient at that process reading the lie, reading the wind, reading the club, because that's what you do every hole, every shot on the range. Because it doesn't really matter where the ball goes, you're kind of go, you're always going through that full routine and you're, you're kind of creating a bigger thing there. Does that make sense? I think that's the most beautiful thing about golf is that no matter what, you'll never hit the same shot. The conditions are always a little bit different. The wind might be a little bit different. Like even a tee shot, like you're never going to have the exact same tee shot on the exact same hole day to day. No, it is a beautiful part. Um, and I think when you approach it that way, it's easier. When you try to make every shot the same shot, which is kind of what happens in like modern practice a little bit, you know, you're looking for these perfect numbers. And I mean, it's not true. The coaches will all say this is not what we're doing, but it's much more that way than Jack Nicholas playing 36 holes a day or whatever. It's a different style. So when you play a lot of golf, I think you get good at playing golf efficiently at an efficient speed. When you hit a lot of balls on a range in that style, you get very bad at pulling the trigger because you never have to on the range. You know, you've, you, you always go through your process with your sticks and your alignment and your track man and it becomes more of a science project a golf shot rather than just kind of like a little unfolding story if you like around a golf is so i think uh that feels to me when i watch these young guys play is that they look like they haven't played enough rounds of golf in the development they've hit a lot of balls which is why they execute great shots but it seems like a science project each shot you know, different. Yeah, that that makes sense. And then that's why at the same token, when things get windier, when the greens get a little bumpier and faster, where the experience matters, because those are the guys that have seen it more, right? I think. And, and JB's, his defending argument that it was tough because it was windy is true. It is very difficult to play a course like Riviera in super wind. You have to back off a few parts. You do. If you want to win, you're going to have to back off a few times. There's just no way around that. Um, it was He was obviously taking way too long, but he is right. It does get slower when the wind picks up and the weather's bad. It just, it's going to. But um, – if it didn't, if we were forced to play at the same speed, it would certainly be a massive skill to be able to play. And maybe it should be, as you're kind of saying, I feel like uh, it should be part of the skill of being a good player, being able to play in a normal amount of time. Like, I, I actually agree. I don't. I hope we don't get to a shot clock, but I agree that playing 
at a, at a sensible speed. I mean, how hard is it to play golf in four hours? It's just not that hard. The tough, the tough thing is like having the volunteer. You can't enforce a shot clock all the way through. Like that's impossible. You'd have to have volunteers. You have to like. There's there's no way you could ever enforce a shot clock anywhere but the PGA Tour, really, because of the number of people and who's timing it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be a, a shot link volunteer that's timing someone. But what if you had timeouts? Like mm-hmm. just like you get six timeouts in basketball when you need more time, you got. You got some in your back pocket, but it, at the end of the day, it goes against the whole ethos of the game because it's a game of honor. That's the that's the thing I think is that it's a game of honor, and these guys, the slow play is almost it's it's disrespectful to the faster players. Well, that's always certainly been true. The they're not trying to have no respect, but they do the. The fact is, the ones who slow down the field are not caring about the other players at all. That's what rubs people the wrong way. But I, it just needs, I don't know. I just think it's all taken so seriously and there's so much money in play that I don't know. We're going to have to, we're going to end up coming up with some crazy weird policy, uh, probably that like shot clocks or something, which should be a shame. But if that's what we need to do to make it faster, then that's, so, what we need to do to make it faster, right? I don't like the money argument at all. I think it's I think it's complete crap. You they play for eight million dollars every single week. They do. That's a lot of money. Um, but it, you're grinding the same way if it's the USAM. True. True. So you're probably right. Uh, it's taken to it's it's just everyone takes everything very seriously. The the Bryson DeChambeau direction, if you like, is people are going more that direction in golf. You know, he's the poster by boy for really what a lot of people are kind of treating golf, you know, like the no stone unturned approach, um, which if you get like that on the golf course, he's not necessarily very slow. I don't think Bryson, he's deliberate. Um, guys who go that, that, that's the way the whole sport's being, um, treated right so that just just more stuff going on in people's heads when they hit shots yeah i don't know this has been a this has been i've been a pro for 20 years this has been a conversation every year for 20 years so and and from what i'm told it's been a conversation for 100 so (laughs) so the only only solution would be player led well i don't think that's the only solution i think that's the best solution because as i'd said I think the only place I've ever seen fast professional golf, at least in my time, has been in Japan. And that seems to be a peer pressure thing that, that makes that happen. That's because Brooks, I mean, Brooks made a comment about a couple comments about how long it takes and about how he goes and sits on a toilet for five minutes to get put on the clock on purpose. And, uh, <laughs> And then Adam Scott said something. So I guess maybe more people are speaking up. I was I was hoping that we were going to hear something after the the tournament, but I think that's that's where it has to go. People just have to keep talking. I think the way it's going to happen is not from a policy standpoint. It's just the players gradually get fed up, and they basically make it very uncomfortable 
the two are an uncomfortable place to be. They're not being rude or mean, but basically when a player is too slow, the, the players need to call them on it. Say, mate, you have to play faster than this. This is not right. We're going to the next tee. We're going to play because this is a joke. You're holding up the field. And if more players did that, which is kind of obviously what happens in Japan, it's like you're the one holding us up, mate. Hurry up. You had the, all the players, the majority of the players doing that in a nice, polite way, but like, look, beat up. This is, we're playing faster. You play faster. I think gradually that might happen. Or my, my, one, my one idea to the tour, like the last sort of five or six years, I've been on the pack and on the pack, you always inevitably talk, have debates about slow play. <laughs> but we time people, we time people with the shot link, right? So we have a, I don't know if it gets public, but certainly on our website, we can see on our stats, we can see how long it takes us to hit shots. And we have a, a speed rating, you know, 24 seconds is Zach Blair and two minutes is JB Holmes, right? It doesn't change that much. It changes from 28 seconds to 40 seconds or something. But like we all have an average speed we hit shots for the year. So why can't we, instead of finding the slow players, because punishing the bad hasn't worked because we've been finding slow players for a really long time and nothing happens. They stay slow and they just pay the fines. How about we reward the fastest players? How about we pay them? with the fine money that the slow players are paying, you know, or the most improved. So if I was 29 seconds and 50th on tour or something for speed last year, if I go to 26 seconds and get to 10th, I've improved 40 spots. I get, uh, I get paid for that. There's actually an incentive pool of money for the guys who speed up. So there's a reason to get faster. At the moment, there's no reason to get faster. As long as you're not getting fined, you don't have to change. But what if you got faster? And what if we paid the players who improved every year the most and actually put them on USA Today? You know, top five fastest players on tour, these guys, bang, we paid them this year because they're fast. Do you think that would work? I think that would work. I, I think here's the big thing from it is that the way I look at it from just a fan is that the product stinks with slow play. Like, I am a golf nut, and I, I was, it, who wants to come watch somebody plumb bob for two minutes on a Sunday afternoon, like, versus you, you're competing against the NFL, the NBA, like, the two sports that have pace of play issues are baseball and golf, and they're the two least popular sports with younger generations. I mean, yeah, yeah. When you say it like that, you're right. Like it, the uh, as long as the real golf tournaments, <laughs> you know, the ones that really historically matter, like the majors and national opens and stuff, they stay with the proper rules of golf. I don't see why you shouldn't actually, when you say it like that, do whatever you can to make the product better, whatever think, that is. Think about how much better coverage would be if they actually knew when somebody was going to hit a shot. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Right now, they just guess. They're like, oh, we're going to cut over to JB. And little did we know this was his first of four plum bobs on the green. Yeah, and his 27 practice rings with a pitch shot and stuff. Like, it is difficult. It must be a nightmare um, for the producers. They both, I mean, Lance and Tommy, I know both are producers in the US, and they tell it's a very difficult sport, golf. There's so much of that. And their nightmare is cutting to, cutting to the guy who's about to pull the club away and backs off and doesn't hit it for three minutes. Right? That's 
that's what I noticed that what they were doing, they'd cut to JB and they'd notice he was just at the start and they'd cut to somebody else and then come back to him. So they were adapting, but it just makes it impossible. And that's the way I kind of think about it is like from a, from a long-term product standpoint, slow play, that's, that's a, it's really bad for the product, which is what, you know, the PGA tour is. Well, it is. That's the product. The product is entertainment really. Um, so make it more entertaining. <laughs> and if that's fast, that's faster, I guess. I, there's just got to be a way to do it that keeps the golf traditionalists like you and me happy that it's still golf. I think paying people actually incentivizing fast play makes a lot of sense to me. And you're getting the fines. Yeah. Makes a lot of because sense. Because everything if what we've been doing in anything really hasn't hasn't been working then don't you do the opposite like okay if finding the slow players doesn't seem to make the slow players get faster how about we pay the people that you maybe you pay the five fastest players for the year and you pay maybe if it just even if it's retirement money whatever like there's a big reward and the most improved from last year so these are your shot like numbers the 10 players who improve their time the most over this year will get paid what, um, what about would this? Be an incentive to get faster what if everybody that makes the cut, your money gets siphoned off based off of your, you get, you have your finish and then you have your pace of play finish. Yeah. And if you finish high in pace of play, you get extra money. If you finish low in pace of play, you get less money. Yeah. You can lose up to, I don't know, 10% and- of your check being too slow or something or gain the 10% on your check. So I don't know. Yeah. There's gotta be, I think it has to be positive reinforcement because I think you can keep finding the slow players if you want, because it's a good revenue raiser. It's like speeding tickets, right? But it doesn't make people drive slower and it doesn't make people play faster golf. They just pay the fine. I mean, there's a, there's a few guys and everyone who's followed the tour could probably guess and there's, who they are they just basically pay the fines every year and accept that they're going to have fines and that's the cost of doing business for them you know but it's it's like an it's like an insurance policy for them like they know they play well when they play so so they just pay the fines and that's how they do it i I think they shouldn't have to pay fines to the tour they should have to pay they should have to walk and hand the money to the fast players i think i 100 percent think the fine money that they get the sanctioned money should be paying the reward money a hundred percent. That would be so good. <laughs> and, but and they, they a, have to, they have to hand it to the, to the reward people. They don't pay it to the, Lake. to the tour. They hand it to the people that are fast. At East Lake on the green after the FedEx cup champion does his thing. <laughs> they have a slow players, slow players, pay fast players like ceremony. <laughs> That'd be great. You have to fly in. National TV. All right, that's it for part one of this uh, session with Jeff Ogilvie. We will be posting part two later this week, probably uh, Wednesday night or Thursday morning. And we talk a lot more about Jeff's experience in the Vic Open, the congruent men's and women's event, and as well as a uh, bunch of other things, some stuff about Augusta majors and the latest happenings on tour. So look forward to that. I hope you guys enjoyed part one.
I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg, fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course.